Welcome back to another episode of the More Love podcast. You're really going to love this episode. Today, I'm speaking with Catherine Ann Clement. She is an author of the most wonderful book that I've just finished reading. It's Anna, The Voice of the Magdalens. And it's she co-authored that with Claire Hartsong, who had previously written Anna, The Grandmother of Jesus. And I highly recommend both these books. But right now we're speaking with Catherine Ann. Thank you so much for joining me on the More Love podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, wonderful, especially to connect with you and um, my many Australian friends that I've had as I spent some time there a few years ago. I know. Some of those (laughs) Aussie friends are going to be hanging out until I release this podcast. I know they already are. So that's really exciting. Most of my listeners are familiar with me using the term NOTE, which stands for Non-Ordinary Transcendent Experience. And I find it's a really beautiful way to start because it's an experience that warps the time-space continuum. And we all have them, but where some of us are still getting used to them, and the other funny thing about them is we all have unique notes. So I'd love it if you would start with a note experience that you've had in your lifetime and how it impacted your life and what it meant at the time and how you found out what it really meant and um, and go from there. Would that be okay? Sure. I know when you first mentioned this to me, my my thought was, how could I only pick one? Because my whole life has been a series of these types of events, which is part of what I believe the awakening process is, because we have these, these out of our usual ordinary events, and it's really commonplace to just dismiss it, or kind of gloss over it or override it and not take it seriously. It's not necessarily that you have to know exactly what it is in the moment, but, you know, not to dismiss it. And the, I would guess that my very first time I became aware of this was when I was 14. Um, I was pretty miserable (laughs) as a teenager. And um, I mean, life just sucked. (laughs) That's how I felt. And I'm going, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing or, or, you know, what I'm finding around me. And I just kind of had an intense moment, you know, with the universe, whatever it was. I wasn't even in thinking of God or anything like that. I was just frustrated. And about three weeks after this, um, like, emotional tantrum that I had, I got my first download. And the download was, it's all energy. And I'm going, what? What does that mean? I mean, what kid, I was 14 in 1965, is even thinking about energy back in those days, you know, and the download was, it's all energy. And I absolutely knew it was true, but I had no idea what it meant. So that was the beginning of this whole trail of discovery and uncovering what that meant and what energy meant. And at first I translated it because I used to be a dancer. I'm in a ballet dancer. I have a master's degree in dance till I had a car accident that ended my dance career. 
And I could translate it in terms of the energy that I experienced in training, you know, and conveying this um, non-linear energy through my body to the audience. So I began to understand it in many terms like that, that eventually led into healing and all kinds of other things. Um, so that was my, what I consider my awakening moment. I think a lot of people who pursue this journey have had that absolute um, frustration and um, can't think of the word you just used, but this total dismay at how terrible life is, you know, you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and how could it get any worse and how could you be bothered living through this? It's horrible. And, and then, you know, something, a crack appears in the horribleness that lets a little bit of light in. Yeah, and that crack is actually the ego cracking open. Yes. To allow the light in, you know, because until you reach that point, um, there's nothing that can penetrate into your more tender inner parts that are connected to source, you know. So in some way, everybody has to have their ego cracked open to start this journey. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's through some kind of trauma or drama or disaster or illness or, you know, job loss or financial loss. I mean, that's the most common. I mean, it is possible to start having an interest and then you begin to soften that yourself and just start pursuing, you know, more of a questioning what's beyond our linear thought kind of reality. And, you know, that does happen for some people, but it's more often they're hit over the head to crack the nut open, you know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. which is a fabulous thing. You know, it's not a horrible thing. Like we think it's the end of the world. Usually, well, it's the un end of the limited world we've been yeah. living. Mm. Yeah. Because when we're in that ego state, we're protecting the love that we think we have left, you know, oh, measuring absolutely. it out to those special ones who deserve it. But, you know, mm -hmm. we're in a really protective, defensive state, um, not an unlimited, unbounded, abundant state at all. Yes, which actually describes what's going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have these two sides, you know, the people that are so in fear about what's happening are busy protecting because they've been brainwashed to protect. So they think that, you know, their life or their energy or their love or whatever is going to be impacted by all these other people that aren't doing what they're doing, you know. And it's an individual, total individual, you know, process and journey. And we certainly can influence each other, but nobody has a right to tell anyone else, I believe, what to think or what to do. That's a soul journey of each person. So, Absolutely. But I kind of get off in that whole topic. But anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we'll come back to that topic. Okay, sure. <laughs> so you were 14 when the, the first crack appeared mm -hmm. and some light rushed in how long did it take to let more light rush in or what was the sort of experience in a broad brush way it was always like a an undercurrent 
there wasn't a whole lot, I mean, other than my dance focus and training as a teenager in performing. But when I went away to college, it began to open up and I started finding whatever like spiritual or metaphysical books that could give me an answer to what I was searching for. And I finally found the Seth Speaks books. Oh, yep. Um, you know, and I'm going, oh, my God, I knew that there was truth to this. You know, I knew there had to be something. And then my mother, of all people, my mother had the Betty book, which is a book about um, somebody writing from communication from people that had passed over on the other side. This is in the early 70s. And I also she had um, Robert Monroe's book, Journeys Out of the Body, about astral projection. That's why I said, of all people, my mother. (laughs) So I borrowed these books, but I was so secretive. I would, you know, read everything in private. I wouldn't let anybody know because it was too threatening to, you know, tell anybody what I was believing or what I was doing. And then... Actually, this is in my autobiography that I just, you know, this whole series of events. I had a whole bunch of events that little by little were triggers to, you know, open the next piece and the next piece. And um, then in 1980, I became aware of Ramtha. Um, I didn't have the money to go to my Dialogue One Um So I went to what they called master's meetings for about six months with these two guys. One of them, Thomas Sharkey, later became Shirley MacLaine's personal manager. Anyway, and she used to be at all of those early events that I went to. But anyway, it was the first supposedly channeled being and ascended being that I experienced. And this was back in the early 80s um, that had a huge impact on my life you know, to let me know there was more, again, to consciousness. And it was the first time through Rampa that I got introduced to the idea of ascension and that we could ascend. And his definition of ascending is you become so in love with every aspect of yourself and with every aspect of life that there is no, nothing undone, unsaid, unturned, you know, and that the love becomes so immersed in you and in your experience that you change your vibratory rate so much that you go back out of form, back into thought and back into light, which is a full body ascension. So that was the first person that taught about that ascension in that way. What an experience. Yes. Absolutely. And the very first time I went to an audience with Ramtha, he went around to each one of us. Um, The people that were the first timers were in a a group and he interacted with them and other people could come and pay like a lesser fee, but they can only observe. So when he came to me, all of my friends got all kinds of like past life readings and all this information. And he comes to me and he just looks at me. And as he looked into my eyes, I felt like I was locked into this eternal like tunnel. And the room faded out. I couldn't see any people, any chairs, any anything. I mean, it just 
totally disappeared from my vision. And he said this, what you need to know are you in your questions. And I felt like in that locked moment that went on for an eternity, there was a whole lot of probably a download of information. Um, I was just aware of it. I didn't know what it was. And then eventually the room started materializing again in my peripheral vision. And I went, oh, man, this is definitely a note. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it warped the time-space continuum. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I mean. There have been a series of them. Yeah. Well, that's what they're for, isn't it? To, to warp the time-space continuum, make us realise that we're in touch with so much more than the room we're in or the person, you know, the physical person we're talking to or whatever. I just think that they're those moments that really stretch our logical brain to go, hang on a minute, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Yeah, and, you know, we think it's just like another way of looking at it and we don't realise I mean, I think people now, because of the whole evolution and what's happening in our world, we're multidimensional beings and we're really on the verge of getting out of all of these linear, limited thinking ways and belief systems that we've been indoctrinated with for thousands of years to begin to remember and experience ourselves as multidimensional beings. And I think each of these note kind of experiences are little, the curtain gets pulled back. I call it like the 30 seconds when the curtain is pulled back and you're like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and then it closes, you know, 30 seconds or 45 seconds later. I have a whole slew of those, you know. <laughs> but that's where I think, you know, we'd be totally freaked out if the curtain were pulled back and it stayed back. We couldn't, we couldn't um, incorporate it. You know, we couldn't deal with it. You know, so it has to be done with little tiny increments at a time. So you expand into your multidimensional self a little bit, and then you're back to reality as you think it is. And then, you know, you have another little, you know, opening so it just is a gradual type of process, you know, where you're not totally blown out of the water, unless you are. Sometimes there are experiences that do that, <laughs> you know. But for me, it was to learn to not dismiss it or override it or make it be about something else. It's just to like hold it, you know, hold it with an open hand, even if I don't understand it or know what it was about yet. Is just to let it be there until that greater understanding, you know, comes forth, which usually it does eventually. Your experience of being connected with Claire Hartsong is a beautiful example of a note that took a little while to yes. come into yeah. logical understanding. Mm -hmm. So, um after that first dialogue that I just shared, that experience I had with Rantha, I think this was about five months later. Uh, my friends and I were at a dialogue with Rantha again in Boston. And um, Rantha all morning had been talking about bums or homeless people being some of the most enlightened people on the planet because they, you know, weren't so confined by the society's rules. So he had done this 
full lecture, you know, all morning about it. And my friends and I went out after lunch to the Boston Commons and we sat down in this bench and right across from where we were sitting was another bench with this homeless person on it. I looked at him and, you know, definitely a homeless person. But my first thought, I mean, he's crazy. He's talking to himself in some kind of gibberish. You couldn't understand what he was saying. And he's looking all around like this. And I'm going, yep, he's crazy, you know. (laughs) But I looked at him and the first thing that happened was I'm squinting because the light in my peripheral vision was so bright. It's like I had a hard time, you know visualizing, you know, keeping my focus on him. And then I looked at him, I'm going, something's wrong with this picture, because he looked like a kid. I mean, he's a grown man, but he looked like a kid that had gotten dressed up for Halloween, and then taken charcoal and rubbed charcoal all over his, his shirt and his face to make himself look like he was a bum, right? But it didn't look real. I mean, (laughs) It was weird. And I'm squinting because the light in my peripheral vision was so bright. I'm going, who is this? Who is this? You know, so he's talking about some object in the sky. And I started wondering if he could be talking about a UFO. Now, I don't engage with like homeless people usually, you know, it's just not something I ever feel comfortable doing. And I find myself out of the blue, verbally asking him what object? And all of a sudden, he stops looking all around and acting crazy. And he zeroes in on me like he's looking right through me. And he says, wouldn't it be nice to hang upside down and swing like a bat? And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely think you're crazy, right? So then we just started this normal conversation. So then he started asking, you know, like where we were from. And we told him New York because we lived in New York. And then he wanted to know where. And I thought, I don't want to tell you where I live. So I, you know, told him the corner, which was about 20 paces away from my door. And he goes, oh, I've been on that corner. And I'm going, who is this? And then my boyfriend, Barry, said where he lived and where he worked. And the guy says, oh, I've been there. And I'm going, who is this guy? You know, so. Then he started telling us about where you could get really good coffee and good muffins around the park. And I mean, giving us all this information. And then I said I was getting ready to move to um, Washington State. I was living in New York City and I was going to be leaving in about three weeks. And he started telling me all about the Olympic Peninsula and Mount Rainier and, you know, Washington State. And he said, all you need is a little bug, meaning like a VW bug car, and to travel light with like a sleeping bag. Then my friend Mark, who was with us, noticed he was holding a beer bottle in his hand. He goes, where'd you get that? And the guy points to the garbage bin for the park, right? So he gotten the bottle out of the garbage, and he's drinking the water, not the drinking fountain water. He's drinking the decorative fountain water. And I'm by now, I'm thinking what Ramtha said, and Ramtha also said, you know, he and his other ascended being friends had appeared to all of us, but we didn't know who they were. So there's so many bizarre signals. I'm thinking, I really think this is an ascended being. I don't know who it is but I should really trust this. So then the bum offers me the beer bottle. And I was like, 
my mind was going, yes, no. Oh my God. Yeah. The bottle's out of the garbage. I'm in a public park. Who knows what's in that water? And I'm going, I really should take this. This is like Jesus turning the water into wine, you know, but I'm like at an impasse and I'm going, I know he's watching me. It's like a ping pong game in my mind, you know, (laughs) yes, no. Finally, I just had to say something. And I I said, no, thank you. We just had our tea because I just couldn't that I hit my limit. I just couldn't go there, you know. So we got up to leave and he stood up nose to nose with me. And the very last thing he said is, did you kill somebody? And I thought, well, that's really weird. It made me doubt the whole experience. So we had to go back in. I didn't turn around to see what happened to him. Um, I moved to Washington. Um, Dean Thompson, the other guy, I told you I did these master's meetings with these two guys. He was also a channel and he channeled a being named Solano. So the next year I asked Solano about this encounter with this bum. And I asked if that was an ascended being. And he didn't answer directly. He said, he is one who has seen the folly of this plane and no longer lives by its rules. He said, you drew him to you and you will meet him again. And I'm going, oh my God, meet him again. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) So then another year, an entire year later, a friend said, if you're ever driving up the Oregon coast, stop by and visit in Depot Bay. And I, I took him up on his offer and he invited me in. He goes, here, here, you have to try this. So the very first thing, I don't remember if I mentioned this, that the bum said to me in that conversation was, wouldn't it be nice to hang upside down and swing like a bat when I thought he was really crazy? So my friend has me put on these big fiberglass boots with a hook on the back right? So he helps me get my lower half of my body high enough to hook the hooks on the bar in his bedroom doorway, um, lowers me down, gives me a push. Now I'm facing into the bedroom. And on the opposite wall, he has like a five foot poster of some master. And I said, who is that? And he goes, oh, that's St. Germain. Took me to the next morning to realize there I was, hanging upside down, swinging like a bat. The very first time I saw his image or heard his name in this lifetime. And I thought, oh my God, I bet that must be who that is. But I had to go to research who he was. You know, there's no internet back in the mid eighties. You know, I discovered who he was. And um, basically everything that sounded crazy in that encounter ended up being markers on my timeline over the next 25 years, um, eventually putting me together with Claire. And one of the big clues came when finally in 2004, I was at an advanced healing um, DNA certification course in in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And the head of the school stood up on the third day and she said, I just finished the best book I've read in eons called on a grandmother of Jesus. And I remember thinking, oh, not exactly my subject matter, because I had quit Catholicism when I went away to college. You know, I was totally into metaphysics and spirituality and trying to understand about energy and all of those things. And I wasn't interested at all in anything remotely Christian. So the other side had to work really hard to get my attention, to get me to respond and pay attention. 
And when I finally got the Anna, Grandmother of Jesus book, in Claire's afterward, she talks about meeting St. Germain in a physical body in the Grand Tetons in 1987. My experience with him in a physical body was 1982. And so that was the connecting point. She's the first person I ever heard of who actually met him also in a physical body, not just in a meditation. So my guides were like, email her. And I'm like, really shy. I finally did. And then um, she didn't respond. You know, who am I? A person that went and bought the book, right? But a bizarre synchronistic series of events took place then. And um, it was about a year later that I ended up having a reading with her. And this is all in my autobiography that I'm going to release soon of all of these synchronistic, bizarre notes <laughs> all the way along that eventually put me together with Claire. And it was St. Germain who engineered it. And as I shared with you earlier, part of the bigger picture understanding is St. Germain's twin flame is Portia. And actually, Claire and I have co-authored a book called Twin Flame Union, The Ascension of St. Germain and Portia, where they each share their story of their joint ascension together. So anyway, Portia is Anna's oversoul. And St. Germain is Portia's twin flame. So all of a sudden, the bigger picture started falling into place. And I began to understand, you know, the pieces. This is just slightly changing the track of our conversation just a little bit. But that bigger picture is what I found the Anna books gave to me, uh, amongst other things. But that ability to understand the turmoil, because, you know, the Anna books are set uh, before, during and after the crucifixion and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, another period of time with tremendous turmoil. So that bit, the books gave me the bigger picture to sort of be more calm and present in the current turmoil. So a bigger picture is quite reassuring at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my workshops, I tell people, you know, people tend to think of the whole Christ drama in a very confined way, you know. It's, it's a, a much larger picture, not limited to this planet or that time period. One of the main things that I learned from working with Anna is that Magdalene is an order of consciousness. It's not just an individual. And that most of us that resonate with this material have been Magdalene's for thousands of years and we've been training in the you know mystery schools and the temples and that we've taken vows of secrecy and silence to protect the teachings and what I understand this is my perspective on it there has been stories and information of you know Yeshua's teachings in that time period um, but a lot of it's really distorted and I really feel what happened is that the verbal teachings, the written teachings were written down, but distorted. And they were given as like the Bible and the gospels. But in the very beginning, those that um, wrote the Bible and the stories, they divorced the energetic component from the story and the words. And that more divine feminine energetic component is what the Magdalens have always safeguarded for thousands of years. 
And now it's time to bring our voices, not just voices, but the energetic fields that we carry that reunite that original energetic component with the information because you can't really apply it to help you raise your frequency and expand your energy unless you have both, you know, what we consider the divine male and divine female aspect, which is the inner bride and bridegroom, but it's the energetics with it coupled with the information. So that's what I think is brought forward so amazingly through the honor books. Mm, Yes. (laughs) I always say to people, you know, our sensitivity to feelings, emotions and energies is our greatest asset. But in today's world, we're led to believe that it's our greatest weakness, you know, that our sensitivity is a gateway to anxiety and stress and, and overwhelm the sensitive ones of us. We feel like we don't fit in. But in actual fact, understanding that energy component of us gives us this incredible freedom in this world and a wholeness. And so I couldn't agree with you more about, you know, bringing in that energy part back into our life experience. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's all of the disclosure and, you know, all of the stuff, the horrendous stuff that's coming up these days is we're learning that almost everything we've been taught is a lie and everything's been inverted and reversed. And so, you know, which makes sense is coming out of the old control and patriarchal paradigm is all about money. It's all about hierarchy. It's all about status. It's all about materialism, manipulate and use to gain, you know, status and power. And, and it's all about leading the, the common person or the everyday person or the masses, whichever right. term you like to use, to believing that they're material only, that the energetic part of them really is, cra- that's the crazy part, you know, don't go there, you're a bit bonkers. But that's also the Christ part that they're trying to eliminate and suppress and squash. And- Absolutely. Which everybody, of course, has. Yeah. You, know, you just have to be willing to, first of all, want to uncover it. And then, you know, it's, it's a path of initiation for everybody who follows that. You know, we have to look at, you know, what's true for us and look at our shadow pieces. One of the things I was, I've shared with you just a little earlier about the initiations that I found really reassuring. Uh, And it kind of loops back right back to your very first note experience. You know, when we're feeling that degree of frustration and, you know, we're Mm -hmm. wondering what, what, what is the purpose of even being alive? It seems so horrible. That pain and suffering is, or could we say, in your opinion, it's like a modern day initiation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things to be aware of in this time period, not only all of the turmoil that's going on on the planet, but the planet itself is a sentient living being, and she's in her own ascension process. So that means that, say, in like 2000 years ago, or or many earlier times in history, you know, those of us that are Magdalens or that are initiates in the temples or the schools had to 
be in um, sacred groves or caves or wherever where we created our own separate space than the mass consciousness, you know, to create basically what is a zero point field to be able to do the initiations. Now with the planet as a whole ascending, the entire planet and everybody on it are in their own initiation process. If you're on the planet, you're in one. <laughs> you, know, you can't not be in one right now. And and that's the, the thing we feel, isn't it, where time's speeding up and it, it feels like energy is speeding up. And as it does so, you know, I think of it as a, um, a shining of more light, on more love and light onto the planet or through the planet. And, mm-hmm. and um, love shows you what needs to change. So as more and more comes, you know, that quickening, we're, we're being asked to change and, and to raise very, it's a, feels like a bumpy, fast, bumpy journey. It is. Yeah. And I think I have this in my soul weaving book. Um, I was given a kind of a download oh, around 2008, 2010, I was shown that there's such incredible light coming from the center of the planet up to the surface and coming from space, light that has never been here before also coming. And that the two are acting together of taking whatever low frequency and darkness and negativity is being brought up to the surface. So nothing is hidden anymore. Hmm. And it's been compacted on the surface like a big garbage compactor and put in our faces. So we can't sidestep around it anymore. So we're being forced to deal with it. That's what's happening now. And it's because there's intense light from both directions. And so we just have to keep addressing it and transmuting it and moving through it until there's only light meeting light. So that means, um, you know, in that kind of visual context, we become the the conduits, um, yes. you know, that are linking the above energies with the below energies. And then, yes. then we need to choose love instead of choosing fear, which, you know, that's the crux of moving from separation that ego mindset into the unity, that um, unity of of where there is only one source and that source is love. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And the other thing that I've been really aware of, I've been writing about, um, is we're so polarized. You know, we always have been, but particularly right now, especially with... um, you know, the powers that are trying to stay (laughs) in force are trying to separate everybody and antagonize everybody into, you know, taking sides and the sides warring against each other. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Take, you know, being neutral. It doesn't mean be passive. It means being neutral and to develop awareness and compassion for both sides. You know, because we're trying to end this whole game of separation. And if we keep, you know, emphasizing and pointing the blame at the other side, you know, we're just accentuating that continuation of that division of that separation consciousness. 
And now this whole age that we're in is all about unity and it's about, you know, coming through that polarization and bringing it back into a singularity again, which is what we're all here to do. So it's finding the center point or finding out how you can work with whatever is the most antagonistic to you, (laughs) you know, which for me always means I need to go in and do my inner work. Yeah, that leads us to the sentence that I mentioned before, towards the end of Anna, the voice of the Magdalens. And uh, it's one of the, it's not the final chapter, but it's getting there. And Anna speaks about the years of destruction uh, after the crucifixion and um, quite a few, you know, this is sort of getting towards the end of her life, a very long life. Um, Anyway, she says, tyrants deserve the greatest of merciful compassion for the suffering of their karmas through all the times and realms is great. And, you know, as, as, I've been working through this COVID drama and all that it brings up. It's been, um, I keep reminding myself that we're all necessary on the planet. We're all playing our part in the Mm -hmm. drama and that the ones that we want to blame the most are the ones who are, in a way, offering us the greatest opportunity to expand into the state of truth. So it was really nice to read that sentence, but also to that's the hardest part, isn't it? You want to say it's your fault. This whole situation is your fault and you've got all the wrong morals and backgrounds and everything about this is wrong and I want to blame you, but it's that's not the answer, like you said. Yeah, I have a story. I'm a little, because I don't want to be political, a little reluctant, but I guess I'll tell it. Um, (laughs) well let's listen with an open heart and an open mind to what the story actually means yes yes um when I was um traveling I was traveling throughout Europe doing my events in 2016 I think I had already been to Australia at that point Anyway, um, I really needed a rest and I I met this woman and she graciously let me stay in her apartment for three weeks in Athens, Greece, so I could rest in between all these events I was doing. And I would just, you know, hang out while she went to work. And oftentimes, well, even now, I have a hard time sleeping through the night. So I get up and I go on Facebook And I went on Facebook and there was an amazing post about twin flames that was really inspiring. And then the next post I read was all about Donald Trump boasting about how he had such great Mexicans working in his Trump hotel, I guess it was, or a restaurant or something about tacos or something. Well, you know, I grew up in a democratic, you know, (laughs) family and I never, I always thought they were both, both parties were slime buckets. So I was never into politics. And I was so triggered by this post 
So I said, oh, my God, here you're teaching that we live crucifixion, resurrection and ascension every day, because every time you blame, you know, or point the finger at somebody, you're you're participating in crucifixion. Every time you stop and you look within and you start asking to understand or heal it or shift it, that's resurrection. And when you do that, it changes your frequency. So we're living crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension every day. It isn't just a Bible story, you know? So I thought, man, you better do your own work here, right? (laughs) So I went in, and this is how I work. And this is not at all, I want people to understand, this isn't the external truth at all. It was just my process. And I said, okay, to Trump, you know, because I believe everybody and everything exists within us. There is nothing outside of us, everything we see outside of us is a reflection of something within us. So I asked Trump, I said, where do you live within my body? And he said, your cervix. I'm going, my cervix? I'm going, oh, I don't like that. And I go, why there? And he said, because it's the threshold of the inner and the outer. And it's the the point of creation, birthing creation. And he goes, I want to, I want to own that point or manage that point. And I'm going, Whoa, I don't like this at all. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going, okay. So, and then he, I was shown like the bridge of the starship enterprise and he's sitting in the captain's chair and he wanted to have total command of everything from this point. Okay. So then I asked him, how did you get the, get this way? And granted, remind, you know, is to remind people this is my own inner process. And then he showed me about age five being shut in a dark closet. So I guess as some form of punishment, he was shut in this dark closet and the lights were turned out and he was locked in it from the outside. And he said, I vowed from then on that I would never, you know, allow anybody to you know, victimize me or attack me or, or do anything to me, you know, I do whatever I'd step on whoever do whatever I needed to do to make sure this never happens again. So then in my inner process, I said, what needs to happen here? And divine mother came in and she said, you need to remind him meaning the five year old Trump that he has a spark of light in his heart. And that his, his job you know, his mission is to nurture and protect that spark of light, no matter what. And the five-year-old was so excited that he had a mission, right? And so everything went into this mission of protecting and expanding and, and, you know, nurturing this light. So then I was shown that his external fortune in the linear world was so large you know, so it was really top heavy in the external, but it was pretty devoid in the internal. And I said, what needs to happen here? They said, oh, to balance it out, he, you need to open like the, open the gates of all of this golden energy to come in to balance the external fortune, right? And so much energy came in, they said that it was enough that it would fuel the grids of the new earth. And I'm like, wow, Okay. I mean, this was just my own personal thing, but then I could like be neutral with Trump 
I wasn't triggered anymore because I kept choosing to go to this inner, you know, understanding that had unfolded within me. And it allowed me to be neutral. It wasn't asking me to do anything other than be neutral. I mean, this was, you know, now looking back five years ago, I'm going, oh, my God, who knew, you know, that there was way more to this whole thing than just my own little personal inner thing. When you're willing to dig through that and understand, in a way, you can understand what the pieces are. And also in a way that doesn't make sense. Because that experience that you had is, as you said, it's your experience. Yet the energy that you shifted in your experience ripples out and affects everyone. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And in my um, soul weaving book, you know, I have a chapter that everything is holographic. So everything we do affects the hologram of all that is. And likewise, we're affected. So we're not separate at all, which is the remembering of the oneness that we all are. And the, the understanding after we did the, the sequel, The Voice of the Magdalens, and we did all of those, they were done through basically a form of past life regression sessions. Um, you know, the first on a grandmother book that Claire brought through, she channeled, you know, through the single voice of Anna. And we thought that the second one was going to be that way. And, you know, me and this other friend, and we were just Claire's support team. Well, Claire couldn't get in the same heightened energy. And she asked Anna what the problem was. And Anna said, go outside the door and ask Catherine Ann for a regression session. So the councils of light had this whole different plan in mind that required our threefold energy of me and our friend and uh, Claire. And um, so she asked me for a regression session because I do past life regression. And the councils came in and gave us a protocol for those sessions. So that's how all of the characters um, came through that are in the sequel. And uh, it's a very different format than the first book. My feeling about the whole Christ drama is it started really with Anna and she started it. They came in because she was a walk-in, basically. You get that from the first book. She was the oversoul of her human body, Hannah, that was in the death process um, during childbirth. So she already was carrying a higher frequency. So the whole Christ drama and all of those characters, you'll see throughout the books, they're light conceived, which means they're conceived at a higher vibratory rate than normal humanity and how this is carried through the genetics and they infuse this into the elements. It was the only way they could begin to um, raise the consciousness of the planet so we could have um, a return you know, to the Christed, Christ Magdalene, I call it, within each person. So that could come about today because they had to raise it or would never be able to be activated. And so they came in to raise the frequency. That's how I see it. In your conversation with Maria Estella, oh yeah, you talked about that Anna and the Magdalene or the Mary Magdalene's composite and Jesus weren't the only ones on the planet doing that at that time there were 11 others yes 
there are a couple places, references in the Voice of the Magdalens where um, Yeshua said it once and Anna said it once. There were 11 other avatars and their consorts was the way they put it on the planet. And to me, these are fully realized like like Jesus and Mary Magdalene were fully realized Christ Magdalene beings. And I, when Claire and I finally got the go ahead, because when we did all of these sessions in 2006, we all got popped out of living in Springdale, Utah, where we were, where Claire was. And um, we had to walk away because the material was too controversial and the councils of light didn't think that the consciousness was ready. So we just had to walk away and go on with our lives. And it wasn't until three years later when I'm living on Rhode Island and Claire's in Northern California that I got a call from Claire saying she finally got the go ahead from the Councils of Light for us to take that initial raw material and turn it into the Voice of the Magdalene book. So I moved to the West Coast and Claire and I, just the two of us spent the next year, you know, in that process. But the big aha moment, because we had these 19 different characters there from all over the timeline, from Jesus's early life to 100 years after all the characters had passed away. They're all over the, the map from, you know, the Himalayas and Palestine and northern Scotland. And I mean, it was this huge octopus, this disjointed thing. And we're like, brainstorming, what do we do with this material, you know, and all of a sudden, I had this download, and I totally got it, I went, which was, to me, the container of the book, although we didn't spell it out, I thought, oh, my God, I get what this is, it's going to take 2000 years, because in the back of the book, we show all of the lines, like the the seeding Palestine, the seeding of Scotland, the seeding of all of these different areas in the world, you know, through the genetic lines of Jesus and Mary, the Marys and the other lines. And I thought, okay, you also take the seeding of all of these fully realized other avatars on the planet. And it's going to take 2000 years for the crossbreeding amongst all of these 12 different lines to where we come today, where we all hold the literal, physical, dormant genetics of the fully realized Christ Magdalene beings because of this. It isn't just a, a concept in consciousness. We carry the literal like line, like the Da Vinci Code, where they're killing to have access to the line. The tipping point of humanity is seeded with the literal, physical genetics. So that was my aha moment for how we can have the coming of the the second coming of Christ in all of us today. And the withholding of that information is the idea that that DNA is junk DNA. Yes. Couldn't be further from the truth. Right. For me, that was really helpful because it was the organizing principle for it in my mind. Yeah. I, some of my friends have, um, so this is sort of going back to the start of what you were saying, that the, the, the Anna book is just, um, Claire and Anna, or you say Anna. Mm-hmm. She says it that way. That's why I say Anna. <laughs> okay, I'm going to change. So, and then this one that you co-authored is, you know, all the different characters and many members of the family, which is really beautiful. So it does give the book a really different feel to read. 
It feels, you know, it's not quite as fluid. However, the frequencies are all still so beautiful and and you just really capture their stories. And, the, you know, both books are such a beautiful way to um, ignite those dormant DNA, you know, that's just waiting for us to, to light them up through the story you know the story helps us remember and we get swept away by the story and by the end of the book you go oh my gosh I feel different yeah (laughs) cool yeah so I just thought it might be really lovely to finish with a it's a short little paragraph Um, it's from page 191 of Anna the voice of the Magdalens the person speaking is Sarah uh, son of Isaac and Tabitha Mm -hmm. daughter sorry daughter Each soul who resonates with our stories will find what is needed to awaken. Each precious soul will remember what is required for healing. Everyone is seated with the same light that awakened us in our time. It is the same light that has returned us once again to the earth plane to carry on the great work which shall remain until all suffering ceases. Mm -hmm. Isn't that reassuring? Yes. Uh, And then a little further down, whether you carry our literal genetic codes or you are the whole of humankind carrying the energetic codes of light, the light codes Master Yeshua and the Magdalens impressed into the atoms of the earth, you are the Christ child. The luminous awakened child, the divine mother, is birthing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, with that sort of moment of reassurance, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, just that we're all going to be okay. And in my latest newsletter, they were impressing upon me how much we can call upon divine mother and that we're not expected to do it by ourselves. You know, this is like in my, my gift access um, template that is in my soul weaving book, you know, asking is a really big um, one of the tools is asking and it's to ask you know, Divine Mother, ask help from the Magdalens, ask help from whoever you resonate with, because they're waiting to assist you from the other side. You know, they don't want us to suffer trying to figure it out and do it by ourselves. Mm, Absolutely. I'm just tempted to read another little paragraph. (laughs) It's from Mariam. Mm -hmm. So this is page 306, pretty much right in the middle. I'm finding an increasing stability and constancy beyond anything I knew before. Being awake in fresh, present mindfulness, doing and being whatever I am, aware in my body, aware in my breath, aware in my sensations, is being spiritual. Being awake is nothing to shout about. It's just being who you really are, a sentient being with a heart filled with compassion and a mind filled with wisdom. 
What is true of me is true of you and is true of all beings. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it for this episode of the More Love podcast. I have totally enjoyed spending this extended Mm -hmm. period of time with you, Catherine Ann. So for the listeners, now sometimes people are on the road when they're listening. So Catherine Ann's website is Catherine Ann, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-A-N-N-C-L-E-M-E-T-T dot com. However, if you can't remember that, I forgive you and just go to my website, Live True to You, or to the show notes from the More Love podcast. You'll find your way and I will link Catherine's, Catherine Ann's website and her email newsletter because you're probably quite keen to join now uh, in the show notes page for this episode. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to stay in touch. Oh, Thank you so, so much. <laughs> Okay. You're so welcome. <laughs>